Hi, Mystery Knocks listeners, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Kim. And I'm Mary. And for today's case, we're stepping back to the 1990s and heading to Ireland to explore the mystery surrounding the disappearances of eight young women who have never been seen again. Were their disappearances the work of a serial killer? As of today, no one knows. This is the case of Ireland's Vanishing Triangle. Just a disclaimer, there is talk of sexual assault in today's episode. Listener discretion is advised. About this case, real quick. When we first picked this case, mm-hmm. I thought, because it's it was called Ireland's Vanishing Triangle, I thought it was going to be kind of similar to the Bermuda Triangle. That's what I was thinking, too. I was like, it's going to be like all these things missing but it's it's not i started researching it i was like oh okay this is totally not what i was expecting but this is a kind of like a crazy case and it's really sad too and i think the case is just very frustrating too just of how i don't know like the police weren't on top of it as they should be no they weren't and we'll definitely get into that too Mm -hmm. so but yeah i just thought that was funny how we both thought it was going to be like like the Bermuda Triangle, and it was totally different. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this sounds interesting. And then, lo and behold, what the hell is going on? Right? Still interesting, but just in a different way. Mm-hmm. All right. And with that said, let's get to the case. Between 1993 and 1998, eight women disappeared in Leinster, Ireland. The area the women disappeared from is an 80-mile radius, right outside of Dublin, that has now become known as the Vanishing Triangle, a term coined in the 1990s. The name Vanishing Triangle came from the location of places in which the bodies were reported missing from, quote, applied to an area that stretched from Wexford in the south to Louth in the north and to Offaly in the west, end quote. The women have never been found. The missing women are listed here in order of disappearance. First was Annie McCarrick. She was 26 years old, disappeared March 26, 1993. She was 5'8", 140 pounds, and had brown hair and light eyes. The second woman to go missing was Eva Brennan. She was 39 years old. She disappeared July 25, 1993. She was 5'7", had a tall, slim build, short brown hair, and blue eyes. The third woman to go missing was Imelda Keenan, 22 years old. She went missing on January 3, 1994. She was 5'3", had a tall, thin build, and brown hair and blue eyes. The fourth woman to go missing was Josephine Jojo Dullard, who was 21 years old at the time. She disappeared on November 9, 1995. She was 5'4", medium build, with brown hair and blue eyes. The fifth woman to go missing was Fiona Pender. She was 25 years old and disappeared on August 23, 1996. She was also seven months pregnant at the time of her disappearance. She was 5'5", with long, wavy, curly hair. Her hair may have been bleached blonde, and she had brown eyes. The sixth woman to go missing was Kira Breen. She was 17 years old and the youngest woman to go missing at the time. She disappeared February 13, 1997. She was 5'4", had a tall, slim build, had dark brown hair, or black hair, and blue eyes. The seventh woman to go missing was Fiona Sinnott. She was 19 years old and disappeared on February 9, 1998. She was 5'2", under 100 pounds, and she had long auburn hair and brown eyes. 
And the last woman to go missing was Deirdre Jacob, who was 18 years old and disappeared July 28, 1998. There was no description yet of Deirdre, but in reading about other missing women and how they all have the same build and hair slash eye color, I would guess she was a height between 5'3 and 5'8 with brown hair and quite possibly having blue eyes or light eyes. So as you see, there are many common characteristics of the disappearances. They all involved young women. They all lived within close proximity to one another. They all disappeared suddenly and they all looked very similar to each other. All the disappearances happened in a quiet part of Dublin. Alan Bailey, who was the head of the Garda task force, who were charged with finding a connection between the missing women, was quoted in saying, people remember their names to this day because they went missing over a short period of time in a certain part of the country and because they were normal people going about their everyday routine. Private investigator Brian McCarthy stated, you have the same profile, young, attractive females who have all disappeared inside a very close geographical triangle. The common denominator is there's no evidence left behind. There's no evidence at all. No shoe, no belt, no purse, no watch, nothing. How is nothing left behind? I know. That's another reason where I'm like, okay, wait. Usually with, even when someone gets snatched up with a disappearance, with a murder, something, there is usually some evidence left. Something. Annie McCarrick disappeared on March 26, 1993. Annie grew up in Long Island, New York, and moved to Ireland in January of 1987, when she was just 20 years old. Annie had Irish heritage and was very into knowing more about her Irish side and the country's history. She attended college in Ireland, then moved back to New York for a few years to get her master's degree and then moved back to Dublin, Ireland in January of 1993. Annie was described as being very close to her family and friends. The day she went missing was a day like any other day. After running some errands at the bank and the grocery store, Annie decided to go to the Wicklow Mountains that day. She had asked a friend to accompany her on the hike, but the friend declined. Are those mountains very remote, or do lots of people hike there? Well, first of all, it's a huge area. It covers 20,000 hectares, which if you're like me and have no idea what a hectare is, one hectare is equal to 2.47 acres. Yeah, I, I still don't know what that equals out to, but good thing for Google, I looked it up. And for those that need more visual, it's almost 38 football fields. Which is huge. Yeah, it's massive. According to Wicklow Mountains National Park, over 1 million visits are said to be made each year to the area. However, the National Park was only established in 1991, and Annie went missing in 1993. So I'm not sure if there were that many people going there in 1993. Now, later that night at around 9 p.m., there was said to be a sighting of Annie in a pub called Johnny Fox's in the Dublin Mountains with an unidentified man. According to SarahJWinter.net, quote, he was in his 20s and wearing a waxed jacket. Wait, wait. What's a waxed jacket? Funny you should actually ask that. I had the same question, and I kind of went down the rabbit hole with it. I ran into sailors and Egyptians. However, I'll give you the short version. According to a source, quote, A waxed jacket is a type of hip-length raincoat made from waxed cotton cloth, iconic of British and Irish country life. Today, it is commonly worn for outdoor rural pursuits such as hunting, shooting, and fishing, end quote. Now getting back to Annie and the unidentified man, quote, 
The woman wanted to attend the Huli Show, which is a nightly dinner show celebrating traditional Irish music and dance at Johnny Fox's Pub in Glencullen. This woman hadn't realized there would be a cover charge. The man she was with paid her way at the door and for the rest of the evening as well. The woman left the bar alone in the early morning hours of March 27th and has never been seen again, end quote. However, remember that this is an unconfirmed sighting of Annie. The last confirmed sighting of her was in Inniscarry on the 26th, just east of the Wicklow Mountains. They do have CCTV footage of Annie, but it's only of her at the bank in Sandy Mount on the day she disappeared. Her friends noticed something was wrong when she didn't pick up her paycheck or check in with anyone as she was in constant contact with family and friends. John McCarrick, Annie's father, said, She was always reaching out and touching someone. She would have never gone a day without talking to someone. We were very, very concerned. Her parents ended up flying to Ireland to search for their daughter, but unfortunately would end up leaving after six months with no answers. Eva Brennan vanished after leaving a family gathering in Rathgar County, Dublin on July 25, 1993, just 12 weeks after Annie went missing. Just like Annie, she was also described as being incredibly close to her family and maintained regular contact. She was also the oldest of the women at 39 years old the day of her disappearance. According to an article by Royzen O'Donnell, quote, lunch at her parents' house was a ritual she followed without fail. There were no obvious red flags pointing to what was about to happen next, end quote. Eva was described as predictable by family, stating she, quote, rarely went out, lived alone, and went to mass, end quote. So when she failed to show up to lunch the next day, the family grew suspicious. After two days of no word, they knew something was wrong. Eva's father, Davy Brennan, went to Eva's apartment to check on her. After receiving no answer from ringing the doorbell, he grew even more worried. He decided to go to the pub that the family owned and recruited the help of a barman to help break into Eva's apartment. The only clue they ended up finding was her jacket that she had worn at the family lunch two days earlier, so they knew she had made it back home that day. Everything else looked untouched. At that point, her father decided to go to the Garda station and inform the police of his daughter's disappearance. However, according to Eva's sister Colette, quote, they said she was over 21, and therefore they did not believe Eva's sudden disappearance was a result of a crime. End quote. Even though her father continued to try to get the police to take action, an investigation wasn't started for three whole months. What? Why would it take three months? Well, according to an article from Royzen O'Donnell, there were a few theories as to why the police didn't take action right away. Quote, the first is the obvious pointed out by PJ, Colette's husband. He spoke out comparing the efforts to locate Annie McCarrick and Eva. He has stressed there is a complete world of difference between the reaction to the disappearance of the American policeman's daughter and Eva's. Maybe it was the Irish way of being overly friendly to outsiders. Maybe outside pressure from the States, Annie's father's experience, or a combination of all three. But the truth that can be found in PJ's remark is that in the business of locating missing people, it is all about who you know. End quote. I did think that, that that was kind of interesting, though, how there was more information on Annie than any of the other ones, though. No, I agree. And I think there's truth to some of what he said. Because her father was a policeman, be it in the United States, but still, you know, I'm sure he had some sway and connections, yeah, um, to get 
a better and a thorough investigation for Annie. And then, whereas literally all the rest of the women that we are about to talk about, there was barely any information for them. Yeah. And that's what I, I found to be kind of just odd. Because why have it on this older case as opposed to the newer ones? And it was in the 90s. Why? I didn't understand. Yeah. And that's what I had to keep reminding myself. It wasn't like 1800s or, you know, something like that. It, it was kind of recent mm -hmm. in terms of, uh, like, technology on, on what you can be doing to solving these cases. It was also speculated that maybe Eva had committed suicide, as she was known to have depression. However, her sister adamantly denies this because of Eva's strong Catholic faith and her close relationship to her family. Unfortunately, her sister never found out what happened to Eva, as Colette passed away in 2014. Imelda Keenan went missing on January 3, 1994, and was only 22 years old. Similar to Annie, Imelda was a student at the time of her disappearance. She was engaged to her fiancé, Mark Wall, and they lived in an apartment together in Waterford. Imelda was described as being a happy person. The day that she went missing, she told Mark she was going to go to the post office to pick up the dole. Dole? What? Is that money or...? Yeah, so I actually didn't know what it was either, so of course I looked it up. And in Ireland, the dole refers to unemployment benefits. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the post office was closed when Emilda arrived, so she ended up walking down a different street called William Street to another street called Lombard Street. There were two eyewitnesses who saw her crossing the street that day, a friend and a local doctor's secretary. Emilda then turned the corner by the Tower Hotel, and she was never seen again. Unfortunately, that was all the information I could find on Imelda. I'll leave you with this quote from Imelda's brother, Gerald Keenan. He told a crowd at a missing persons event, quote, Unfortunately, deep down, I have a theory that there are people in Waterford with vital information who won't come to our assistance. We have asked them. We are begging them. Come forward now. End quote. Josephine Jojo Dullard was 21 years old when she went missing on November 9, 1995. She lived in Harold's Cross County, Dublin with her sister, where she was taking a beauty therapy course. However, she ended up dropping it, finding it too difficult to juggle work and college. Jojo was in the process of moving back home to Kaylin when she disappeared. The night she went missing, Jojo met with friends in Dublin and was supposed to return by bus Thursday evening, but got sidetracked with friends. She missed her bus, which resulted in her hitchhiking, which was a, quote, common transportation alternative, end quote, at the time. Which, I just want to say, please don't ever hitchhike. I mean, I know this was in the 90s, but it is so dangerous. Jojo made it halfway to Moon, where she called a friend to tell them where she was and that she'd hitch another ride. The last known person to speak to Jojo was her friend, at 11.37 p.m., Jojo told her friend, quote, oh, a car is coming and I have to go now, end quote. She has never been seen again, though there was an unconfirmed sighting of her walking along the street in Castle Dermot County after the phone call. The driver of the car has never been found. Now, I did find an update on this case when I was researching, or kind of an update. 
In 2019, a priest in Kikini received an anonymous letter, possibly regarding Jojo's case. Father Willie Purcell states, quote, It was an anonymous letter, but I brought it straight to the guardie. It was an anonymous letter stating that they had some information into, and now they didn't mention Jojo by name, but in relation to missing persons. What they did in the letter was they outlined various circumstances and situations that they knew of that that they had heard a certain person talking about. Now, I gave the letter over. I had a meeting with the superintendent and with Gardy and handed it over to them. End quote. After the break, we'll talk about the four remaining women and the theories regarding their disappearances. Stay with us. Now back to the case. Fiona Pender was 25 when she went missing on August 23, 1997, in Tullamore. Fiona worked as a part-time model and hairdresser, and was seven months pregnant at the time she disappeared. She spent the previous day with her mother, shopping for baby clothes. While she seemed in good spirits this day, her younger brother John had mentioned that she, quote, wasn't in a good place when she disappeared and had been struggling with the loss of her brother Mark, who had died a year before in a motorbike accident, end quote. She was last seen at her apartment on Church Street at around 6 a.m. that Friday. On the night of February 13, 1997, Kira Breen and her mother talked late into the night. Kira's mother remembered her daughter saying, quote, Well, I'm tired. I'm going to bed, end quote, just after midnight. Gave her a hug and a kiss and said goodnight, that she'd see her in the morning and, quote, I love you, end quote. And that was the last thing Kira had told her mother. Reports have said that the window latch was left open from the inside, which led them to believe that Kira left the house on her own, possibly to meet up with someone, and had intended to come back in the same way she had left. When Kira's mother had gotten up to use the bathroom at around 2 a.m., it was then she discovered that her daughter was missing. She was 17. It wasn't until 2014 that two people came forward with credible sightings the night she vanished, but that did not amount to much. I always wonder why people wait so long to come forward. That's really sad that it took them that long. 19-year-old Fiona Sinnott disappeared on February 8, 1998, after leaving Butler's Pub in Wexford. She left the pub with her ex-boyfriend, Sean Carroll, who was the father of Emma, their 11-month-old daughter. Carroll had said he walked her back to her place and spent the night sleeping on her couch. Sean had said that Fiona had pains in her arm and upper body that night, and not much had changed in the morning when he checked on her at 9 a.m., Fiona said she wanted to go to the doctor to have it checked out, so Sean gave her money before leaving. But, quote, she didn't visit any doctor in the area that day, and she wasn't seen hitching a ride either, which was the only method of transport she would have had to get to the doctor's office, end quote. It was also noted that the last public sighting by anyone but her ex-boyfriend was when she left the pub the previous night. Which is sketchy, because I've heard of this happening, the mother and son working together to kill the girlfriend and keep the child. However, with that being said, Sean was brought in as a suspect, but they didn't have enough evidence to move forward. Yeah, I've heard of cases like that too. That's crazy. Also, what bugs me is that the next morning when Sean's mother came to pick him up, why wasn't Emma brought back or why didn't they take her to the hospital? So why didn't they take Fiona to the hospital? Yeah, because she said that... That she was having pains. Yeah, she was having pains. And then since the mother Mm -hmm. was picking up her son, why didn't... But yeah, that's... Why wouldn't you take her to the doctor? In addition to that, here's another tidbit I came across. Quote, When police investigated Fiona Sinnott's home, they found it devoid of all her personal possessions. Her clothes, as well as her daughter Emma's, were gone, and all of her other personal property as well. 
A police officer said the home didn't appear as if a teenage girl and her infant child lived in the house at all. A local farmer reported that he had found trash bags full of items with her name written on them in his fields, but had assumed that they were just illegally dumped and burned them. Other trash bags were seen by locals outside the apartment building after she disappeared as well. End quote. Deirdre Jacob, 18, was living in London at the time of her disappearance and attending St. Mary's University, but was home for the summer. Much like with Annie McCarrick, her last moments were caught on camera. On the afternoon of July 28, 1998, she ran errands in and around the area where she lived, stopped by the local bank, the post office, and visited her grandmother in the middle of town. Deirdre was returning home along a country road she walked all of her life and disappeared. Quote, Neighbors saw her about 200 yards from her home, and then suddenly she was gone. She literally was standing at the side of the road, about to cross over into her home, and then she was gone. End quote. I like to know where they find these witnesses, and shouldn't the police have looked further into their statements and whereabouts? With most of these cases, I feel like proper investigations were not done at all. I don't understand why it took that long either. I don't either. It's It blows my mind. There was one main theory for these cases, which was speculation of a serial killer on the loose. Quote, as the numbers mounted, the Irish press was proposing a chilling possibility, and the police were beginning to take it more seriously. The disappearances could be tied to a serial killer. End quote. In terms of suspects for these cases, there was only one name that kept popping up, which was convicted rapist and attempted murderer Larry Murphy. He is suspected to have been a person of interest not only because he lived in the area of the Vanishing Triangle, but he had a connection to Deirdre. He worked as a carpenter for Deirdre's grandmother in her sweet shop. He also did work in pubs around the area and worked in stables just half a mile from Deirdre's home. Wait, did you say he worked in pubs? Didn't most of the women visit a pub prior to them disappearing? Mm-hmm. That is sketchy. Very interesting, though. He's suspected of being responsible for the disappearance of Annie McCarrick, Jojo Dullard, Deirdre Jacob, all of whom vanished close to the area where Murphy lived at the time. In February 2000, he abducted a young businesswoman who he had been stalking, which happened to be in the town of Carlo, that was within the same area as the Vanishing Triangle. He raped her, drove to a second location, raped her again, but she was able to get away at that second location when two men, hunters, appeared on the scene, causing Murphy to flee. The woman he raped and the two hunters were able to point him out in a lineup which led to his arrest. Quote, Officials say since his conviction, the disappearances have stopped. End quote. Well, if that isn't a damn coincidence. Murphy was released in 2010, serving only 10 years of a 15-year sentence. Irish press linked Robert Howard, otherwise known as Werewolf, to Annie because he was in the area when Annie went missing. Robert Howard, according to Jilly Beattie, quote, is known to be a sexual deviant, a killer, a rapist, and murderer. Robert Howard is the personification of evil in Ireland, end quote. He attacked a six-year-old girl and raped a 58-year-old woman. Even though he is currently serving a life sentence in England for the 2001 rape and murder of a 14-year-old girl, he is still a person of interest for the Vanishing Triangle, as he was also linked to Jojo Dullard, but to other cases in Northern Ireland, South Ireland, and England. So what's your theory on the whole situation? I mean, I do think that the theory of a serial killer, obviously, it makes sense to me. But what doesn't make sense is how there was absolutely no evidence left behind. Like, there was no evidence ever found for any of the disappearances. I agree. Absolutely nothing, which is weird. 
Mm-hmm. So that made me think possibly there were two people mm-hmm. helping to abduct the women. Um, or the police were in on it. Possibly. No, I don't um, think that. I just think the police were very not, not thorough. Yeah, not thorough or they didn't know how to do their job. I mean, it was in a quiet countryside. Yeah. Not a whole some lot of, the, of crime. Yeah, some of the cities were. Um, but if that was the case, if the police really were kind of over their heads with this, that could explain the lack of evidence. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't know what to do. They They're found. not. It's not exactly. something they're used to. So maybe there was evidence, but it was just never found. Or properly documented. Mm-hmm. But something else I was thinking when I was doing all this research is, what if Annie just got lost in the mountains? Because the pub sighting was not confirmed. So there is a possibility that she wasn't even abducted at all. Oh, no, yeah, I was thinking that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't exactly a well-known hiking spot or if it wasn't something that people went to, I could see her getting mm-hmm. lost and, and people not knowing where to look. Because it was, it was fairly new, right? That hiking spot, the trail? Or... Yeah. Yeah. The the National Park. It or was the like National recently Wicklow established, park, right? Yeah. It had only been established two years prior to her disappearance. Ah, yes, yeah. I could see that. And it's huge. And, you know, I don't know if she was used to hiking. I don't know if she went there a lot. You know, I I don't know. But, I mean, even experienced hikers can get lost. Mm -hmm. And she was by herself, which is always a no-no. And didn't some of the articles say that... Larry Murphy, that he kind of, or it was speculation, right? That he would go to the mountain. Yeah. And he did um, rape that one woman there. Yes, that's right. In the Wicklow Mountains, Mm -hmm. he did. So, I mean, of course, there's a possibility she went and she encountered Larry. And then stuff happened. But, you know, that was just a thought that came to me. Like, what if she wasn't even abducted? What if she just, you know got lost or had an accident mm-hmm. out in the mountains, yeah. you know, and then her, her body was just never found. Um, so that was one of my thoughts. And then my, another thought I was thinking for some of the women was um, I never saw any mention of what if some or one of the women just wanted to leave their life mm-hmm. because um, I've heard so many stories of people just wanting to start a new life. And some of the women did have depression. Yeah, exactly. And that was another thought that I had, too, especially with Fiona Pender. Mm -hmm. She was about to have a baby and yet going through all these thoughts and emotions. And and who knows the thing about the ex? Yeah, that's very true. And Eva was um, said to have depression. Mm -hmm. And... uh, I don't know. You know, she was 39. She lived alone. She was kind of described as like a hermit. So, yeah, I just, I mean, I don't know. Of course, all of these are just speculation. They're all theories. Nothing has been proven Mm -hmm. because no bodies have been found. No evidence have been found. And, you know, none of the women, unfortunately, have ever been found to this day.
If you have any information about the disappearances of any of these women, please contact Crime Stoppers in Ireland at 1-800-205-805. If you reside in the United States, you must dial 011-353 first, then 1-800-205-805. We will also have pictures of the women and the phone number on our blog at mysterynoxpodcast.wordpress.com. All right, Mystery Knox listeners, that's it for our case today. Thanks so much for joining us. And as always, we'd love to hear your ideas and theories on this case. So let us know on our Instagram and Facebook at Mystery Knox Podcast, on Twitter at Mystery Knox Pod, or send us a voice message on Anchor at anchor.fm slash Mystery Knox Podcast. A list of our sources and pictures from this case can be found on our blog at mysteryknoxpodcast.wordpress.com. Your support is always appreciated, so if you enjoyed what you've heard, please let us know by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. We'll see you on our next episode, and remember, stay weird, stay curious. Mischief Managed 